Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from shop.net. What we'll keep after COVID, part three. Before I get on to this uh, podcast, part three of this podcast about what we'll keep from COVID, uh, there was an interesting um, interview with Michal Martin in the papers uh, yesterday or the day before, where he admitted uh, that in January, the government got it wrong when uh, they were trying to force uh, teachers and staff back into schools while the virus was raging to over, you know, around 8,000 cases a day. And, um, you know, that's that's all well and good um, and all that. And um, But it's somebody raised a very, very interesting point, uh, which was uh, that famous webinar um, where uh, two members of the HSE um, went online to convince us all that we were absolutely wrong in terms of um, our thoughts that it was too dangerous to go back to school. So now um, everybody, um, well, when I say everybody, I mean the Taoiseach um, has admitted, actually, you know, it was rather foolish of us to, um, I suppose, send people back into school when the virus was rampant. I wonder what uh, the doctors uh, might think of that. I'm sure they may respond, um, yeah, in an alternative universe. Uh, I don't think they will, but it was a really good point. And um, gosh, it's really interesting uh, to have seen that piece of news. But anyway, it's a story that will keep going. I'm sure these, uh, anything to do with the looking back over the virus, and that's exactly what I'm going to do uh, in part three of this um, episode around what we'll keep after COVID. Um, and so I've got a few more to do, so let's uh, get on with it. Hello, hello, you are welcome to part three of this podcast of If I Were the Minister for Education, a special episode where I look back at things that we should keep after the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, risk mitigations are over, let's say, uh, and things that we will happily bin into history, such as using the names pods and bubbles instead of uh, groups and classrooms. Uh, we have a good few things to get through over the next uh, half an hour or so, um, as we've quite a long list of uh, suggestions from uh, people who I asked uh, online, what would you like to keep after, uh, after uh, COVID-19 and what would you throw away? So let's get on with uh, some of those. And uh, the first one here in part three of my list was uh, kind of an interesting one because it was something I suppose uh, in my own school that we've um, been doing well before uh, COVID-19 really since the very beginning of uh, my school opening uh, all the way back in 2008, so uh, over a decade. And it's the idea of direct um, digital communication with parents. Um, I was surprised to see this because I actually thought by now it was kind of the norm that um, if you wanted to contact your teacher in school, um, all you would do is whip up an email um, and it would go directly to the teacher. Um, but apparently this wasn't common practice until COVID-19 uh, came along and uh, many schools for the very first time had to set up email addresses for their teachers and SNAs and various uh, others that work in the school rather than everything going through the school office. Now, um, opinion on whether this would continue after COVID-19 was definitely divided. Um, 
there are absolute advantages uh, to having um, parents being able to contact uh, their teacher directly and obviously there are some disadvantages as well um, and I guess I mean the advantages obviously are that um, you know if there's small issues or something small that you want to say uh, that, a, that a parent or a guardian wants to say to their, their teacher it's it's easy for them to do that uh, for example they could email an absence note uh, if their child isn't in they could send an email uh, to say look uh, just just so you know we're, we're I know this is going on in our house at the minute and maybe just keep an eye on things and so on um, however you know there are other things that it isn't great for for example um, something urgent because you know many people don't understand um, outside of teaching what an intense job teaching is and and by and because it's that intense it means that teachers can't just have a glance at their email throughout the day um do you know because they're teaching and it, it would be like expecting an actor on a stage uh, to stop in the middle of their performance just to check they haven't got a message on their whatsapp or something like that and and it's the same in teaching you're on for the whole time that you're there so sending an email at nine o'clock in the morning to say oh little johnny's forgotten his lunch will you make sure he gets it may not be seen until the end of the school day when little Johnny hasn't got his lunch. So there's, um, it's really important really to um, be aware of, you know, email and digital communication is very, very useful um, for lots of things, um, you know, kind of short messages, sort of if you can't get to the, you know, do you know the way um, before COVID when you're dropping your kid off in, in the morning, you might say to the teacher, I was feeling a little under the weather or whatever it might be. I mean, those kind of messages are useful and uh, and, and getting a, an email in before the day starts, you might get that message. Um, it may not get to them, you see again. So it's, um, it's an interesting medium um, because it relies on people checking their email throughout the day and that doesn't happen. Um, emails... Are, I, I suppose emails directly with parents are quite useful uh, for keeping records of conversations, although um, you try to be as informal as possible. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the thing is, it's something that's, I guess we've been, I mean, in my school, we've been using it a long time, so I feel we get the balance right. Um, I mean, one of the things that I try and insist on, um, you know, as much as I can, is that, you know, we have set hours for our emails that, um, you know, we don't want our staff checking their emails, their school emails, you know, at 11 o'clock at night and, you know, getting a whopper of, a, of, a, of an email uh, to deal with uh, at that time of the day. You know, we, we try and uh, say, look, check your emails between this hour and this hour and outside and also have an expectation of when a reply will go. We have a five day rule in our school that it gives a chance for teachers to um, and, and, and other staff to take their time to respond, particularly, I mean, sometimes it's it's easy enough to respond to an email, um, and that and it's not that it, you you should take five days, but sometimes there might be something tricky that needs to be found out, and that five days gives uh, a bit of time for a teacher maybe to do a bit of research um, or to find out uh, what someone might be looking for. Now, for schools that didn't have direct communication with parents, this was a bit of a game changer in a way for them. And um, a lot of a lot of people really do like it, um, uh, for all the reasons I've I've stated already. But a lot of uh, teachers have had the opposite opinion of it. They don't like being directly contactable, um, and they do prefer a buffer, let's say, of the office, um, the school office, maybe to get messages uh, through to them. Um, I'm not sure. It's a, if uh, for me, I I definitely prefer it. I think overall the uh, the advantages 
far outweigh the disadvantages. As I say, 99% of communication is entirely respectful and entirely appropriate. Um, and I suppose it's a learning tool for everybody. Uh, once you start with um, direct communication, um, you know, everyone has to get used to it. You have to kind of create a sort of a, a general agreement of how it works and a general minimum, you know, kind of minimum expectations uh, on both uh, sides of the email um, of how it should, it should work. And yes, you know, there will be keyboard warriors out there who want nothing more to do than after a couple of glasses of wine to send you an email and berating you and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't happen very regularly. In fact, it doesn't, I mean, in fairness, I, I, it doesn't happen um, too often at all. Um, but I mean, it's similar enough, I suppose, to schools who've gone on to social media, just putting in little um, boundaries in terms of what can be, what comments can be added and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And in 99.9% in of cases, this definitely happens. What I do think I would personally, I think it is something uh, that we should uh, keep after uh, after we COVID is over. And um, there's nothing, um, I think there's nothing more useful than uh, being able to have a direct line with uh, between parents and teachers, uh, SNAs and uh, and parents and so on, because um, you know it saves it saves a lot of time. It can be very useful to each other. And if I guess if, if teachers can can send a, di- a direct message to a to a parent and be able to have a communication uh, between each other, um, it's it 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 it's much easier. And um, and definitely I think um, big problems. Uh, tend to not happen because the small when things are small they can be sorted out uh, more quickly so I mean that's really all I'd kind of have to say around email digital communications through you know the various platforms like Seesaw and all the rest of them uh, I think they're something that should continue after COVID next on the list was this thing called soft openings and a few people were talking about this idea of a soft openings, and I didn't know what it meant. Um, so I, I, I asked what what it meant really. I, I presume everyone else knew what it meant except me. Um, the idea that children could come into school any time between whatever time and whatever time, and they'd be supervised before class would start. The idea of what assembly, I suppose, is in the Department of Education's definition of assembly. Um, in the mornings um basically um let's say class starts at nine o'clock rather than everyone coming in and not being allowed in the door like this big great um i suppose entrance of a stampede into the into the school at two minutes to nine or whatever um kind of giving about a 15 minute 10 to 15 minute kind of um time where children come into school and sit down and get settled um not only saved a little bit of uh, given gave a little bit of extra teaching time because everyone was in by you know let's say nine o'clock, but it also um, stopped the stampede, stopped stopped the traffic jams and all that kind of stuff, and um, I mean it, it seems to be a, a nice idea. I don't I don't have any problem with it. Uh, particularly some uh, some people might say that that extends your school day, but I suppose um, we have to think about how how would we work that into a into realistic scenarios. I mean, we, we won't start teaching until uh, the nine o'clock, but from ten, from the, for those ten, 10 minutes, if there's something for the children to do, is it reasonable to expect, um, you know, the teacher to supervise the class at that time? It probably, maybe is it, isn't, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't think it is really. I suppose we have to, we have to be careful that we're not, um, I suppose, adding extra time to our week um, for, for no, you know, for nothing in a way. So, I mean, while soft openings were, were quite useful, 
and stop the stampede it was a lot more relaxed in the morning you didn't have like you know all the you know all of your children coming in at the same time um and and the i suppose the i wouldn't say the aggression of that but certainly the feistiness of that or whatever it might be uh just the, the kids trickling in over a period of 15 minutes was a little bit more relaxed is it a hit that teachers might be willing to take and um you know i i, I, I don't really know how i feel about it um I, I kind of I, I suppose we can't really we have to we have to it's something that might be something we could, should talk about a little bit and uh, maybe see um, you know the kind of idea well we're there anyway um, you know there aren't any teachers that come in just as the bell is going um, but should they be using that time to be supervising other people's children um, could it be abused could uh, you know if you know that school starts at nine but you know there's going to be kind of this soft opening from a quarter to nine does that mean you'll start coming in uh earlier and earlier and earlier and all that kind of stuff so i, I don't know i mean it was a, it was an interesting one and i actually don't know my feelings on it really um i kind of like the idea of ch- the children trickling in over a little period of time but i also see the disadvantages of how that could um be abused if 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 if, if maybe um I, I must say i i didn't feel that happened uh this year i didn't see any complaints about it really uh, from from anybody anywhere um so i don't know it's an interesting one and an interesting question i think it's something that needs to be discussed all right um you know the soft opening the the end of the day i suppose on the other side of it um because we have hard closings we finish it let's say we all finish whatever half two or three o'clock some people did staggered ends today i know there was complications around that um i think every school every big school certainly did staggered closings um closings um sorry <laughs> i'm inventing words now and um i mean in, in our case what we did was you split the school in two uh the children that went on the bus went 15 minutes earlier than the children that didn't go on the bus that kind of helped in terms of traffic and things like that so i'm not sure if that's um you know something that you know there was advantages again and disadvantages of that in that you know you had 15 minutes of what do you do with the kids who are left um so i mean I, I, it's it's hard to know do do uh do you have a kind of a if you're starting school like 15 minutes earlier um, do you start having a soft closing where anyone can pick up their children um you know in a period of 15 minutes but again i don't know the advantages and disadvantages that you're therefore losing 30 minutes of of teaching time uh, maybe so there's uh, there's definitely a lot of variables that need to to be thought of i know with the uh, closing time some schools kind of said you know they'd have uh, you know the the first second and third class might go at um 15 minutes earlier than fourth fifth and sixth and then what do you do about siblings and um, there's all the interruptions around that um some people that are by families and again you have the disruption of some families leaving earlier than others i i don't know if there is an actual solution to this and and the more i'm talking myself into it i'm kind of thinking we might have to bin that um because ultimately uh there's the issue with soft openings that you know you, you that you're adding 15 minutes to a to a someone's work time uh for 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 nothing but then when it, on the other side of it with soft closing it didn't really work um in terms of teaching time so we may actually have to have 
um, strict, you know, an actual opening time and actual closing time. You might have a, maybe a thing where we could introduce morning supervision or something like that uh, and uh, take that away from, you know, yard supervision. So there'd be certain teachers that might be on, on duty, let's say in the mornings for soft openings. That might help. And then everybody comes in at, at, the, at the right time. But uh, it's certainly, um, yeah, it's certainly something I didn't think I'd be talking about for as, as long as I was. Uh, for this podcast but lots lots of things to consider and, and kind of interesting in some ways from a logistics point of view not very interesting maybe in general but certainly if you're into logistics it might be something that's kind of interesting to you another thing that might be um, I suppose um, interesting in a way in terms of logistics is um, the idea of uh, the virtual assembly um, which was born or <laughs> I don't know born around uh, just after March 2020 when the, the schools locked down it was and it's something that's kind of become common practice um i i i'm i mean i guess um i'm going to claim credit for inventing it uh, we were the first school in the country to run a virtual assembly um we did it um basically uh, the week after uh, schools locked down and uh, just to give you kind of a, a pot, potted history of uh, the virtual assembly and what we've learned over the last 15 or 16 months or so uh, in terms of uh, the virtual assembly um we initially uh, decided to do the virtual assembly um, on Facebook Live, actually, rather than Zoom. Um, and the idea behind that really was, um, I guess it was free, uh, number one. And once you hit over 100 seats in uh, Zoom, you have to pay for it. Uh, so uh, that was really, I suppose, number one. Um, ease of access uh, was a, another reason for doing it on Facebook Live. But, and, and the first assembly kind of went okay. Um, the only thing was that because it was on Facebook Live, it meant anyone at all could see it. So you had the, I suppose, I mean, the uh, potentially um, security concerns that anybody could be watching assembly, even though nobody could see anybody else except me. And that was another disadvantage. We didn't actually get to see each other. And one of the uh, most important parts of an assembly and sorry, I suppose I should explain what I mean by assembly. Assembly is, a, uh, for those of you who aren't in the education system, uh, I don't know why you're listening to the podcast, to be honest with you, but if you aren't in the education system, uh, every week a lot of schools would bring the whole school together into a hall and uh, we'd celebrate the week. So you could be giving awards out uh, for you know students of the week or you could be celebrating everybody's birthdays, uh, those kind of things. And, they're, and, and the bigger the school, the more chaotic in a way they are and you spend like half your time going shh, okay everyone are we ready Shh, and that kind of thing but uh, obviously with COVID-19 you can't bring everybody into a hall um, as we learned um, <laughs> on the first day of term in a certain sc- secondary school in Carlo town uh, when uh, Emma Kelly visited them and uh, such a thing was happening but anyway uh, that's not what we learned uh, we knew that already and uh, the virtual assembly really I suppose kicked off in earnest uh, in that March when I went on Facebook live and uh, it was very uh, interesting uh, to see, you know, what we learned from that. And I suppose the most, the biggest thing I learned really as a, as, as a person presenting the assembly was the fact that we weren't, while I was staring at a camera, I, nobody could see anybody else. Everyone could just see me. And it just became more, it was more of a lecture rather than an assembly. So I, we, I very quickly decided the only way around this was to use a platform like Zoom and the Zoom assembly, as somebody atrociously called it, uh, was born the following week where I sent out, uh, uh, I basically paid for Zoom uh, for uh, the number of seats that we needed and everyone could log in to this uh, this private 
uh, place where we could uh, do our assemblies. And every week we did that all the way through lockdown and added to it as we went along. A couple of things I learned very quickly uh, on those assemblies, just for, for those of you who are interested, um, uh, the first time I didn't realise that annotations were a thing. Um, I'm not sure if they still are on Zoom, but I found myself uh, talking to the, the children uh, while they scribbled all over the screen. Um, it was like a really bad graffiti um, wall. <laughs> it was, uh, uh, and, um, I, I, and people in the chat going, would you stop writing on the screen? Uh, so we, we learned very quickly to turn annotations off. We also learned very quickly that um, setting everyone on mute uh, would be a very good idea uh, at certain points in the assembly and then switching back off mute at other points in the assembly because again you didn't want a situation where everyone could see each other and there was zero interactions so we learned um, while I was talking maybe uh, that we might mute people when I wanted to you know uh, you know say things that need to be heard and then I suppose there were parts where um, my favourite part really at these virtual assemblies was saying goodbye to everyone, not because I was saying goodbye to everyone, but because I could take off the mute button and everyone would just go mad and bye everyone, slow on and everything else. And it was really nice. And uh, it was actually a really, really nice way for people to see each other during lockdown. And in some cases, and, and certainly we, we uh, in some cases, maybe the only time in the week where children got to see other children. Um, and uh, particularly in the very early days of the lockdown when nobody was using video, uh, well, not many people were using video for 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 teaching or or learning. It was a it was and people weren't allowed to go venture further than two kilometers from their house. There, it was a time, and everyone was quite nervous uh, about seeing other people in case they saw it. Uh, saw other people. I remember if you went to a supermarket in the very early days, you were sort of backing into the shelves as people passed you by, so afraid we were. So this might have been the only time where people saw each other, and it was a really really nice time. And as the weeks went on, we, you know, added little things like uh, little quizzes or we'd uh, ask children uh, or families to send photographs and little videos of the sort of things that they were doing at home and so on. And that was really nice. Um, and, uh, you know, it was all it was all very, um, I suppose, as we went along the journey, it, it kind of worked quite well. Um, but um, I suppose, you know, uh, as we... As, uh, after we left lockdown um, and got back to the schools in September, um, we still weren't allowed to head into the hall together and um, meet up uh, and put everybody into the hall. Obviously with COVID-19, um, that was not possible. So the idea really then was to move to, like to, I suppose, not move, but carry on the idea of uh, virtual assemblies um, I, I, I suppose within the school so uh, the way we did it really was we um, I would be in my office and I would set up a zoom link and uh, the teachers in the classroom would go on to that zoom link in their from their classroom and we would do our assembly as we kind of normally do our assembly uh, except everyone would be in their own classroom now this had you know some good advantages. I mean, I suppose uh, there there was definitely a lot less management of the of the assemblies. Uh, for example, you know, I wasn't spending you know half my time going okay, shh, shh, shh. okay, everyone, three, two, you know that kind of thing. Uh, but um, you did you, you definitely missed the buzz of everyone being together. Um, but while COVID was raging, I guess, and and even when it wasn't raging, you know, the it just was impossible to bring everybody together. Now we tried to make the best of times. We we did everything like that we'd normally do in an assembly. We simply really mapped 
what we were doing, what we would normally have done into onto a kind of a virtual platform and that worked reasonably well we even um, after a while started adding little things in that a different class might perform a little party piece every week uh, and that was quite nice and um, you know there was there was we made the best of it I suppose um, but then uh, coming you know I suppose as we moved to the next term um, it looks like we are going to have to carry on with the virtual assemblies. There's, there's probably no way out of that. Um, COVID-19 is still around. Children won't be vaccinated for quite some time. So we're not going to be able to pile them all as the whole. Um, and um, I guess we will have to carry on with the virtual assemblies. Um, I mean, if I was in a very small school, I mean, talking, I'm talking really from the context of a big school. It is, it's really the same thing in a way. We'll, we'll have children... Um, you know what I used to do when our school was very small when we were just beginning there might have been th- two or three classes all of us piled into into a classroom um, and uh, because we didn't have a hall uh, back in those days and, and we just did our assembly that way but generally the idea is the same so we won't be able to do that but I, I'm kind of thinking then once everything does go back to normal if it ever does uh, and it will I mean I, I'd like to hope it will is there an argument for a hybrid version of these assemblies you know they're not all the classes will come into the hall for assembly and um, some classes will stay in their classrooms and some classes will come into the hall and we kind of do a sort of a rotation and i suppose we had a kind of a, a mini experiment of that in a way um just just last week when our sixth class graduated because we while parents weren't allowed into the building they were allowed to watch the graduation on zoom and um, or whatever platform uh, was being used now we used a different platform um, uh, which I think is wonderful it's called StreamYard um, and uh, Zoom I don't think was appropriate for a graduation um, and I know a lot of people did use Zoom for graduations I'm not criticizing you I just don't think it was it was it was probably appropriate or the best uh, platform for a for a virtual graduation and um, we used something called StreamYard which basically streamed our graduation on YouTube and uh, Facebook live but we had multiple cameras that were able to uh, kind of show various bits and pieces I'd say if we were going to do it again um, we'd um, do it in a different way and um, anyway my point about this graduation really was um, the sixth class were in the hall so we had one class in the hall and they were having a real graduation and the rest of the school also were tuning into the graduation from their classrooms. So they got to experience the graduation in a different way. So I'm kind of thinking maybe in the, after COVID, we might be in a situation because it's very hard to pile 500 children into a hall and have anything other than chaos uh, of maybe reducing the numbers going into the hall and having some of the children in their classrooms and maybe rotating that every so often so that assemblies can be seen and there can be the same sort of interactions uh, and so on. It's, it's certainly worth thinking about. So um, really that's all I'd have to say really on, um, you know, I suppose assemblies and the idea of keeping on the idea of virtual assemblies. As I said, I'm very glad that I was, uh, it was something that, you know, that I created uh, that spread around the country and uh, became kind of part of the, uh, the landscape in primary schools. Um, throughout lockdown and beyond lockdown and uh, it's nice when an idea have uh, spreads uh, shall, shall we say I suppose I've been very uncontroversial uh, for this episode and, and it's something that I'm not used to I've been very polite I've been very um, I haven't said anything uh, where I've given out about any particular organisation or anything like that and the next tweet I suppose might remedy that situation um, and if you think this podcast is now going to end after 30 minutes uh, 
uh, well, I, I have another thing coming. I'm going to have to get this one off my chest uh, because the next tweet that came in was an interesting one. And remember, all these uh, tweets, all these uh, suggestions have come from other people, not from me. Uh, I'm, I'm working not off a script. I'm sort of reacting to the tweets that have come in. And all of them really interesting ideas, to me anyway, as someone who has to manage a school and how I've kind of had to, um, you know, sort out the logistics and everything else and I hope it's useful to you to have a thought like maybe get the inner workings of a, of a principal's mind of what they think about when they think about COVID-19 and, and everything else and um, so this this one is interesting because it came from a tweet and it was it was only one tweet and um, but it was basically music to my ears uh, as somebody who is a big uh, who is a big um, I suppose um, supporter of the separation of church and state and basically it was uh, through after COVID that we would no longer have sacraments uh, as uh, in schools as school in, during the school year at school events and this is really interesting to me um not uh, i mean yes absolutely because i i mean i think it should happen um but uh, that this was came from the outside. This is somebody working in a in a Catholic school um, who takes part in the sacraments every year and so on. And and in a way, it isn't just because of them. It's it's just because COVID has has had an effect on sacraments. Uh, and in fact, it's two years. It's one of the few things that have had two years. Like the winter concerts, for example, the Christmas concerts. We just had one year where they didn't happen because uh, COVID didn't, COVID wasn't around uh, for the Christmas concert in twenty nineteen. It was only around for the uh, winter concert in 2020, whereas the communions happened in May and we were right in the middle. Uh, we're now coming, we've now had two uh, seasons of uh, communions uh, which haven't happened as a result of uh, COVID-19. And it's really interesting to even look back at those two, um, at these two events and, and seeing what have we learned um, or have we learned anything? And is this something that we should just, once all this is over, get back to normal? And I suppose the answer to this question um, is let's let's think about it and, and let's try and be respectful about it. Uh, and when I say respectful, I mean, I'm not going to start ranting and giving out about uh, about the church involvement in, in schools. Uh, I want to look at, 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 you know, from the try and look at it from the perspective of um, of these schools um, and what the landscape looks like. And I mean, one of the things that I suppose I, I'm interested in is how um things have changed a lot in schools over the last 20 years and how right is it today to have sacraments as school events and i think the church themselves would are, are also looking at this and, and they've been looking at this for a long time and they're they're interested in the fact that trying to get to take back the sacraments from schools and take them back as school events and make them back into parish events. And I want to give you a couple of scenarios really about things that we need to think about in a post-COVID world. We've had two years where we haven't had them. And I don't know how you felt about that as a teacher. Um, I certainly from speaking to other principals around, they've been really delighted that um, you know it's 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 given um, teaching time back. They've, you know, everyone I've spoken to, I mean without exception, has said you know, really, it is time for the sacraments to come out of schools. So, I mean, it isn't like no one's talking about it and it's as if it's a, it's a kind of a very controversial thing to say. Um, but I want you to think about, you know, your your school, if you work in a Catholic school. And I want you to, and I want you to try and visualise something here because it's very hard to make it, give a visual thing on a podcast uh, as you're listening. But I want you to think about it potentially, and this may not be your school, but in a lot of schools I've seen this, this does happen. Think about the, a wall in your school and on that wall 
is every communion class and every a photograph of every communion class and every confirmation class going way back when so you know some people will have that picture in your head of, of those uh, of those class photographs and you know and they're going up the wall of some corridor i'm sure and you know you might have a reaction when you're looking at that wall you might be uh, looking at maybe ones from the 1980s or even 1990s and going oh my gosh look at the fashion then gosh wasn't it all very different and gosh simpler times and look at it now and there it's much less simple and so on you might be thinking that way you might even be someone who's never left your parish and you might be looking oh look there's me in 1983 boys and girls look now isn't that lovely and so on or oh gosh don't i look don't i look a state what was the haircuts like in those days and things like that you might be thinking those kind of things and that's fair enough but you might not be thinking or you may be thinking of maybe uh, some of the more recent ones and you might look at those photographs and you might kind of have the thought process of gosh where is Yusuf or where is Yossi uh, in these photographs? They're, they're not in the communion photographs because they aren't Catholic and therefore didn't make their sacraments and therefore aren't in the photographs. And in some ways, they are absent from the history of the school. And that's something, if you are Yossi or Yusuf, or even if you're now a Mary who, doesn't, who isn't growing up, uh, not being raised with a religion, or, uh, or whatever, and the fastest growing, uh, I suppose, sector in belief systems are uh, people without um, a particular uh, religion. Um, these are people, and a growing number of people, who are excluded from the history of the school. Now, I'm not saying this just only if you have these photos on the wall. You don't even have to have the photos on the wall. These are children, a growing number of children, that are not part of a school event. And this is where the, the blur between the church and the school has to um, be questioned because I know these schools are Catholic schools, but it would be naive to say that all the children going to Catholic schools are from the Catholic community. And even more so, and actually, uh, even more so, a lot of people aren't going to their local Catholic school anymore. The whole kind of concept of school choice also means that there are some parents who are sending their children to a Catholic school way out of their parish. They might send them out from the town in the whole white flight thing, out to a country school. Um, they might be going to a Catholic well school, for example, that's not in their parish. And in some ways, this can be quite sad for a church community because the whole idea of a church community is that you're raising the next generation into that community, into that parish. And once the child is baptized in a particular local church, because that's where baptisms happen in your local church, if your child doesn't go to school in their local parish, they won't be taking part in the church's experience of raising the next generation into the community. And that's very difficult, I suppose, for a priest or for a church community who believe in all this to, um, I suppose, um, maneuver around and navigate, because that's the idea of a church community and where the lines are drawn. And I kind of think those two problems really marry together to thinking about what is the future of sacrament preparation in schools? And did COVID-19 give us a bit of a pause to think about that? And should we be having sacramental preparation um, in schools or as school events when um, quite clearly they, they exclude um, a number of children, but also they don't fulfill the purpose 
of what the church wants to fulfill. And um, I mean, I know a couple of years ago, because it happened in Carlo, uh, a really, uh, I, I'm going to say innovative, um, but it, you know, I, I'm not, I, I, innovative is too strong a word. I'm not saying it in a derogatory sense at all, but it was, it was I suppose, thinking a bit laterally. Uh, a, a local priest here, uh, Father Little, way before COVID, had this idea, a similar idea that taking it of, of not having the um, sacraments as a school event and in the in May rather than uh, the first week of May a certain school to have their sacraments and May in the second week of May another school to have their sacraments and another week of May the next school rather than that he said any Sunday in May if you want your child to make their sacrament come to the church we'll have a mass they can come in their uh, communion uh, gear and we will give them their first communion and celebrate with them as a community and it was a really, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, well, it makes a lot of sense because that's, that's you know, what probably should be happening. Um, but instead, uh, how I found out about it, because I have no involvement in, 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 in the church stuff, is um, basically uh, I, the Irish Independent carried the front page headline, Why Does God Hate Me?, which was purported to be said by a girl in that particular parish and effectively... Um, you know, it said everything you need, that needs to be said, that this wasn't, uh, that people weren't happy about the fact that it wasn't a school event anymore. And uh, for, for, for that particular child who makes their sacrament, she probably wasn't thinking very much of her, um, of, of, her of, of the children in her class that weren't making their communion that year. She was thinking of herself, I suppose, or her family were thinking of herself. And I just thought, you know, post-COVID, you know, we really need to think about this um, for all those reasons. That is it okay anymore for sacraments to be a school event? And surely the time has come now for uh, sacraments to be um, a parish-based uh, concept. Um, that, and, and if only not to leave um, children out. Um, and I know some schools purport to include children by, you know, making them part of this Catholic ceremony. But I mean, I'm telling you now, I was raised Jewish, okay? And if somebody, if my, if I went to a Catholic school, and I didn't, but if I went to a Catholic school and I was, uh, and my family were told, now I know your child isn't making their communion, but they might come up there uh, to the altar and, and, and have a blessing. Now, if I came from a religious Jewish background, I would have been appalled. Like, I, a religious Jews shouldn't go into churches. I mean, they're not supposed to, you know, because it's effectively worshipping a false idol. It's not inclusion. That's basically, you lot there, you, you outsiders, you, um, you, you come and join us in, 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 and become, you know, you, you, you join in our Catholic celebrations. And if you don't, well, it's your own fault, you're excluded. You know, it isn't real inclusion. So have a think about these kind of things. Now, I'm not just talking from my point of view here. When you ask someone from a different faith to take part in your faith, you're not including them. What you're doing is you're forcing them to take part in your, in your rituals. Um, and, and, and if they don't take part in it, you know, you're then, ex you're then excluding them. You're not really being inclusive. Um, how you be inclusive is making sure that everybody wins um, as best as possible. And how everybody wins is get the sacraments out uh, back to the parish who want it and, um, and maybe have 
um, maybe instead of a confirmation and success, have the graduation where everyone's involved. That's a school event where everyone can be celebrated. Uh, when it comes to communions, I don't know, maybe it's, what is the point of these communions? Maybe have nothing, or maybe have a halfway finishing school sort of, uh, sort of thing, or a coming of age event, or whatever it might be, if you really need to have a celebration. But it includes everybody. See, there you go. I told you I, would, uh, I wouldn't be going under the 30 minutes uh, mark here. I'm nearly at the 40 minutes. But I, I feel like, I mean, I, I hope I've been kind of considerate in my response uh, here and, and in what a post-COVID world would lo- you know, look like in terms of sacraments. Now, my, 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 my unfortunately, I, I kind of think as soon as things can go back to normal, it'll be back to the vulgarity of what happens now um, with uh, bouncy castles and, and all the rest of it. And, uh, and, and people will be excluded and it's a shame because we do have an opportunity now to really have a think about this and it might be worth um, maybe pausing we've had two years now to pause and think about what is the role of sacraments now in schools and should is it now time uh, to give the church what they want and give the sacraments back i know pragmatically uh, many churches will well, not every church is happy with this and pragmatically some churches will realise that if they do go down this road they'll lose half their membership but you know that's that's um, you know look business is business and I'm not saying that as a disrespectful thing but we do have to think about um, and balance these 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 questions and I hope I'm kind of doing that in, in, in such a way and I'm, I'm sorry for going over time in a way but when it comes to religion and schools uh, you know what you're getting with me uh, I am going to talk about it but I did want to talk about it in such a way um, I suppose unscripted but um, but also trying to get some sort of um, respectful dialogue uh, going with it so um, I hope you know I've, I've, I've managed to achieve that so as I break the 40 minute barrier uh, it's time for me to say goodbye for this part part three um, an entirely uh, I feel a respectful um, episode of it where nobody got slated um, and um, maybe 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 I'm turning over a new leaf who knows so listen I'm coming up to part four uh, through this I hope you, you're enjoying listening to these getting kind of a, a little insight uh, into the mind of our principal and uh, the various things that COVID-19 did and uh, how it affected, I suppose, our, our thought processes and our planning and all that sort of stuff. Um, if nothing else, I suppose, um, it might help you go to sleep, as I said in the past, in the last uh, part of this episode. Um, but if you've enjoyed it, please uh, consider uh, subscribing to the podcast and maybe give it a good review if you wouldn't mind so other people can find it. Uh, I'll be back again in a couple of days uh, with the next part as we go through some of these post-COVID um ideas. Uh, Thanks for listening and we'll catch you again. Bye bye.